changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Hey, good evening, and welcome to What's the Word? This is Randy Johnson, your host, pastor of Columbia Baptist Church, and I, just like you, am doing my very best to get through this stage of quarantine that our nation and really the world seems to be in, kind of everything on hold for right now for a little while. But, of course, the radio is a great opportunity and and putting this podcast uh, tomorrow on Facebook and on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way, uh, is always a, a good outlet, I think, for not only some little bit of entertainment of things that we talk about, but also just a, a way to express some thoughts and feelings and ideas and definitely to share what the Bible says about how Christians should respond during these days of uncertainty, days of quarantine, day, days of frustration, got kids inside doing some schoolwork packets from, you know, doing those at home. Uh, we have people that aren't able to work. We have businesses that are shutting down early. Just all sorts of, you know, it's a different style of life. Some people are enjoying it. You know, folks that are introverted and like to be inside and like to be left alone are really enjoying the quarantine. But my friends that are, I would say, much more extroverted are probably going outside of their mind. But all of that being said, this time of quarantine, this time of dealing with the coronavirus, I certainly hope and pray that we are in the fourth quarter of this and we're seeing, hopefully we'll start to see some declines in the number of cases, that the outbreak of this virus will go down quickly and that we can get back to somewhat of a normal pattern of life. Uh, Speaking of things getting back to a normal pattern, one of the adjustments that many, many churches have been willing to make is to do an online stream of their Sunday morning service. Uh, some churches have brought in a minimal number of people on Sunday morning to lead in worship or provide some kind of worship music, worship atmosphere for people watching at home, and then you have some sound and light people, and of course you have the, the preacher and pastor there to deliver God's Word. And so many churches are flooding Facebook and and, uh, YouTube and some other social media sites with their worship services that they're doing live stream. I've even seen some that do a drive-in church where they, I guess they broadcast on a FM station their message and the music and somehow do a drive-in where people will come to the church and be in the church parking lot, stay in their cars, will tune to that station and hear the worship. They will hear the preaching, and they will enjoy 
uh, I guess in, in, instead of saying amen, they just honk. Um, you know, they can roll their window down if they need to raise their hand during worship, you know, if, if, if they're inhibited inside their car in some way. But, you know, this is kind of a, a plow around the stump kind of a, a moment for a lot of churches or, as you might say, making lemonade when the world gives you lemons. Um, trying to find the best way to keep people engaged in worship. And so that's been different, and I have a few words about that uh, for us this evening. want to talk to you a little bit about how the world has dealt with, cri- with a crisis in the past and what some of the government suggestions and regulations were even 100 years ago uh, in fighting some sickness and disease. And also just want to share a little bit of news and information with you that is happening in our community, uh, things that you can be praying about, things that I want you to be uh, aware of. And of course, we have to talk a little government talk about here right in the state of Kentucky and, and Governor Brashear and certainly with the world and our own country with President Trump and decisions that are being made every single day, uh, hopefully for the betterment of the people, for our health, for the economy, for all of those things that have to do with our way of life. So all of that is going to be covered tonight on What's the Word, including giving you additional specific ideas of what you should be purchasing when you go to the store. Talked a little bit about that last week, really more of kind of the heart behind going to the store and purchasing things. Of course, there's always going to be those that will hoard and will buy more than they really need and buy too much of something that they don't need a lot of. But this list that I found, I thought was genius to really give us the mentality during a time of a quarantine where people are getting out as little as possible Again, some of you may go to the store after work every day to pick up something for dinner, uh, whether it's something you're cooking or something you're buying that they make there at, at, at the store or whatever it might be. But if you're trying to limit the number of times that you get out, this shopping list is really going to be very helpful for you. And I also found, of, of all things, a list, and I qualify this list by saying the website says... These are celebrities that have the coronavirus. But I have to tell you, more than half of these people on this list, I had never heard of. So we use the word celebrity very loosely. And I'm not really sure that all of these people are celebrities in the celebrity, in the same celebrity sense. But I will still tell you who these people are because I found it fascinating to see uh, who in the celebrity world has tested positive, has admitted it, and, and all of that. Speaking of churches plowing around the stump, I want to just say, first of all, a special word of thanks to the folks at Columbia Baptist Church, not only for watching the live stream. I mean, we, like a lot of churches, had more people on live stream through sharing on social media and on YouTube, Facebook, uh, than we would typically have on a Sunday morning, of course. I mean, you, you know, you're thinking of, you're reaching people, first of all, 
that want to be in a worship service who can't be. So you know they're tuning in, and then they're sharing it on their Facebook profile, and uh, they're sharing it on YouTube, or you know, commenting, mentioning it on YouTube, and so it's it's sort of gone viral, you know, to use that word of speaking, you know, during a pandemic to use the word viral. This is a, the best sense of the word. I mean, you have churches that are streaming online and getting hundreds, if not thousands, of views where the church may be, you know, 100, 200 people in an average attendance, but then they go streaming online and they're getting, you know, well over 1,000 people that have viewed their worship service. To God be the glory for that. That's that's amazing because now what it's showing is the reach of a church online uh, gives people the word of God right where they are during a time when they need to hear it. Now, obviously, it goes without saying, but I will say it for the sake of, of what I'm about to share with you, that one of the biggest things that churches should be known for and one of the strongest characteristics of a healthy church is fellowship. So what I'm about to share with you, please don't misunderstand and hear me say that from now on, all churches should be virtual. Um, that's not biblical. Uh, churches should not be 100% virtual because that goes back to, you know, if we're going back to the Word of God, we're going back to the early church, we're going back to uh, the directions of Jesus, then what we're hearing in from churches today is we're going virtual because we have to, not because we want to. And so I hope that many of these people that are watching virtually on their computers, smart, smartphones, iPads, those kinds of things, are eager to get back in, in regular fellowship face-to-face with people in Bible study and in worship on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and you know any other times that they gather. But when churches decide to go virtual during a time like this in quarantine, it's encouraging to see thousands of people tuning in who maybe otherwise would have never had an impact or the word of God would have never impacted them or they would have never been engaged in worship in any way, shape, or form. So that's encouraging to see the number of people. What's not encouraging is people that are put in the spotlight who choose to be a, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here, but they they choose to be a martyr. They choose to be the wrong kind of example for the church. For example, uh, I read of a church in in Louisiana. Of course, I'm from Louisiana, so I have a lot of friends on Facebook and uh, different people that that I uh, pay attention to, other pastors and churches and that kind of thing. Back in Louisiana, there was one who had, I think they reported to have about 1,200 people in an outdoor gathering this past Sunday. And of course, you know, news people showed up, people were using their cell phones, taking videos, uh, a, 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 a news reporter came out there and took some comments and some videos of the gathering and as that got shared on Facebook, I noticed the anger and the, I guess, the um, <laughs> distrust, I guess, of the church. 
to say, listen, we have been asked by the government and by the CDC and by the Surgeon General to avoid being in groups of 10 or more to slow the spread of the coronavirus, which, by the way, even though there is medication that's out to fight against the coronavirus and, and new technologies are coming out every day, there's still a lot that people don't know about why this particular virus is spreading so quickly, why it's causing deaths, and why it, it seems to be a uh, somewhat of an uncontrollable virus, you know, and the way it gets passed and how, you know, many people are, that have it are asymptomatic and they just don't know that they have it and they do and they pass it and then somebody gets it who has some health concerns and previous medical issues they get it from somebody who's asymptomatic and then this person gets really sick and possibly dies so the government has asked for many businesses many organizations and churches alike to avoid gathering in in places of 10 or more. And some churches have decided to be an example and have decided to say, listen, we're not going to let the government tell us what to do. We're going to gather. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to be together, and that's all there is to it. And I'm just going to tell you Randy Johnson's personal opinion of that. My personal opinion of that is simply this. The government, first of all, is not forcing any of us as churches to do what we're doing. They are giving this as a recommendation to slow the spread of a virus that they're trying to figure out. And as citizens of the United States and here citizens of the state of Kentucky, I believe that as a church, it is our responsibility to keep our folks and keep our community as healthy as possible and not to spit in the face of government officials and go against their recommendations right now, but to partner with the community. Because, listen, there are plenty of places that would love to spit in the face of the government and they don't have the ability to do it. Um, they are being told to shut down. They're being told not to work. They're being told this, being told that. And they really don't have any choice. Of course, churches have a choice. And, you know, we're not going to get thrown in jail for having a church service. Um, but again, think of that message that it sends to the community. Yes, they're, to, to kind of talk, talk out of both sides of my mouth for a moment. It does, in a sense, send a message when you do have church in the face of, a, of an issue to say, well, we're not afraid of this virus. We're going to believe that God is going to keep us well and heal us and, and that kind of thing. That's one side of the argument. The other side of it is, though, that by having a public church service when the government has asked for businesses and organizations and churches to limit their number of people in a group under 10, to have a church service anyway is almost to say that I'm not going to let the government tell me what to do. In fact, I've heard some use the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego analogy to say that the government is basically telling 
churches to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar and bow down to the government and do what we're telling you to do because the government knows everything and churches know nothing and we're telling you what to do and so you're going to bow down and worship us and that this is a slippery slope down the the evil slope of the the government telling the church what to do. I think the issue is much bigger than that. I don't think the issue comes down to is the government telling churches what to do? Is the church then, you know, is the tail wagging the dog? Is it a, a, a mix of church and state where there should be a separation? Honestly, I think the issue is much, much bigger than that. I don't think that the CDC and the Surgeon General and our government suggesting that all of us limit our group activity to under 10, I don't think that that is a slippery slope leading the government to take over churches or the government telling churches what to do that's going to bind us in the future. I think the issue is a matter of being a citizen of a country that has leadership that Christians have participated in voting and putting into place. And because Christians have voted to put into place different people in positions of leadership, the Bible teaches us to honor those positions of leadership and to not allow a position of leadership, obviously, to go over and above the Word of God, which I really don't believe is the heart and the intention of Governor Brashear or President Trump or any of our even any of our governors in our state. I don't think they're trying to put their foot on the Bible and stand over it. I think what they're doing is they're trying to say to all organizations, we all need to work together. And so frankly, I think a church not having a public worship service, and doing things virtually and online is actually a sign to the community that we are much more interested in the heartbeat of the community, the health of the community, the health of our own church and church members and those that are lost that need to know Christ. We are much more interested in being a, a good citizen of our community rather than saying, I'm not going to let the government tell me what to do, and so therefore I'm going to make myself to be a martyr. I think we just have to be smart, and I think we need to be wise, and I also think we need to listen to the Word of God when it tells us in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, uh, to, you know, to honor those in positions of authority, and in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, I really believe that we need to be praying more for our government leaders than we spend time criticizing their leadership. Because again, as a Christian, you voted and you've placed different people in positions of leadership, even if it's not your party, even if it's not your person that you personally voted for, they are in a position of leadership. And, and, and let me just say this, because I, I think this is a good lesson for all of us. When you read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the church knows that as what we call the Great Commission. And that's Jesus sending out the disciples to go and make disciples of everyone on the planet. Go to all nations, go speak to all people, tell them all the things that I've commanded you. 
We know that from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. But in verse 18, Jesus starts the Great Commission with these words. He says, All authority in both heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Let me tell you this about authority. Now, let me tell you this about governments. There is not one government who, is not, who does not have authority on earth that has not been granted to them by the Lord Jesus. Now listen, there are a lot of evil governments. There are a lot of wicked people in governments all over the world. But for God's ultimate plan and purpose, Jesus is the one that holds all authority in heaven and on earth. And so any person in any position of leadership is there only under the direct authority of the Lord Jesus. They may not listen to Jesus. They may not love Jesus. They may not do what Jesus uh, calls them to do. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. And so not only does their authority ultimately answer to Jesus, but that's why we need to pray and why I'm encouraging Christians, churches, families, to just use this moment to pray for the leaders that are in positions of authority, that the decisions that they make will be in line with the Word of God, will benefit not only people in our country and people in our states, but ultimately that the church would thrive and prosper through this time, reach people that they would never reach. So while I don't necessarily begrudge any church for making a decision to have a service during this awkward season of quarantine, I do think that it is a better choice to join in the effort to go virtual, reach many people with compassion, with understanding, and to be a good citizen of the community that we're in, to partner together to see that all of this panic and certainly the spread of this disease goes away as quickly as possible so that we can enjoy the fellowship that all of us desire to have as a church. So I've read some articles um, from different churches. I certainly don't want to call names because I don't think it's beneficial. But, I mean, there are churches and communities everywhere that are struggling with this decision. And, and by struggle, I don't necessarily mean that they don't know what to do. They certainly have made their decision one way or the other. But I say struggle in the sense of the type of presence that they send out to the community that they're claiming to reach. Um, I mean, think for just a moment about a lost person who would consider going to a place of worship to hear about God and to learn more about the Word. And yet they're being told that the best way to keep the spread of a virus is to stay at home. Now, if they want to stay healthy, their rational, non-believing mind is going to say, well, I need to stay at home. Well, that's the place that you can reach them virtually over their computer or smartphone or whatever. But the likelihood of somebody who doesn't know Jesus walking into a public setting like a church building with a couple of hundred people to worship during the midst of this craziness of the spread of a virus 
I think it's pretty unlikely. And frankly, I I don't know that it sends a good message about what the church ultimately is all about. The church is not ultimately about being against the government and doing what we're called to do to turn our nose up to the government. And of course, the government doesn't have a right to mandate and dictate what the church does, which again is why I said I don't I don't begrudge these churches that are opening their doors and meeting on Sunday. I just think that the issue is much bigger than that. I think that it sends a message to our community that we're like-minded with our with our community and we want our community to be healthy. And if you find ways to minister to people outside of a Sunday morning gathering with with tens or hundreds or even thousands of people, and you can still have an impact for the cause of Christ without that public meeting during this during this time of quarantine, then I think God is glorified in ways that he never would have been otherwise. So that's Randy Johnson's two cents. You can disagree with my opinion. You can disagree with my view. Uh, you can disagree with Governor Bashir and President Trump and any leader around the world and how they lead and what they recommend. Uh, your pastor at your particular church may be doing things a different way than what I just described, or your church may be doing exactly what I just described and, and doing all that you can during this time. But regardless, uh, all of us need to pray for leaders, especially for pastors too, as they're making these decisions about what to do. Well, one of the things that I wanted to share, uh, just in a word of, uh, I guess, really just thankfulness, um, you know, thinking of ways to plow around the stump, thinking of ways to do ministry, even with some hurdles in place. Uh, my kids, my two youngest kids are in high school, and they get a call whenever there's a decision about school or closures or whatever it might be from the superintendent. And a few days ago, we get a call from the superintendent that meals that had been being delivered to students uh, for lunch and for breakfast that they provide there at the school every day, that lunches were being delivered um, since the outbreak of the coronavirus and kids not being able to be at school. So, the superintendent made a call the other day and said, well, during spring break, we're not going to be delivering meals, which is understandable. Um, Those bus drivers, they're using, as I found out, eight buses, 12 personal vehicles just to deliver 1,200 meals. Uh, Well, actually, it's it's more like 2,000 meals because of families that have multiple children. And so they're delivering 2,000 meals a day, of course, breakfast and, and, and lunch to many of these kids, and only a handful of them are being picked up. But she just said that during spring break, they weren't going to be able to provide meals. So when I heard that word the other night, I think it was Monday night she called, yesterday morning I thought, you know, we need to do something, and we need to get some churches in our community to feed these children because perhaps the only substantial meal that some of these children get is what they get at school. And, of course, there have been ministries like this and, and people that uh, have, have done this type of ministry regardless of what the school system does for many, many years. This is not a brand-new thought. But my thought was, you know, we need to get churches involved and we need to do what we can and we need to meet this need. 
So I began talking to Pastor Aaron, my family pastor, and my deacon chair, Mike Talley, and we just kind of started throwing out some ideas of what what if our church took a day and fed 1,200 and other churches would take a day? What would that look like? Well, I'll spare you the long texting chain and thought process and going from trying to feed or the idea of trying to feed 1,200 you know, and, and where it ended up. But at the end of the day, I have talked to the superintendent, uh, Dr. Pam Stevens, several times over the last few days. What we're going to do, our church, Columbia Baptist Church, and, and several other churches, uh, Columbia Christian, uh, Trinity, uh, the Nazarene Church, and uh, Columbia United Methodist, we're all going to partner together, and we're going to purchase food in bulk have it put in boxes, and next Thursday, whenever they go to deliver meals for that particular day, they're going to deliver a box of food for the children that we're hoping and praying will last them the week of spring break. This is an effort that the Lord put on my heart and the heart of other people in our church because someone had already had this idea in our church and had mentioned it before. I think we realized that the school was going to continue providing those meals. But this is just an opportunity to find a way to minister to children and families during a time of crisis. And and, and I don't, I, I'm the type of, of person, type of pastor that I really don't care, frankly, if these families know that you know, a portion of this came from Columbia Baptist Church. I just want them to know that our church, you know, it, it, I, I just want them to know that that there are people in our community that care about them who want to do what we can to invest in the next generation. And this is a great opportunity for our church and these other churches to partner together. Now, I'm sure that some other churches, maybe some larger churches, some smaller churches, will have other ideas and this, it's not a competition. You know, our church is not in competition with any other church of trying to come up with the best idea or get the most notoriety for different things. All I want to do is make a difference in people's lives. And so I'm thankful that Dr. Stevens has helped walk us through this process and giving us some ideas and being willing to get her bus drivers and her teachers out to deliver this food uh, that several churches are going to partner together to provide. So you be praying about that effort was that, as that food gets to uh, many of those needy families in our community and, and just pray that through this effort that God will soften their heart to the gospel if they don't know Jesus or certainly incline them to get more involved in their church to be a part of a church that makes a difference in other people's lives. I mean, that's really, at the end of the day, that's what every church exists to do, which is why I said a moment ago, our church doesn't exist, and no church exists to be antagonistic against the government. And I really don't think that the government, at, at its core, exists to be antagonistic toward the church. Some of the policies that they pass and some of the decisions they make sometimes are antagonistic toward the church, which is why we have people that lobby against certain bills and uh, we have agencies that speak for Christians around the United States. But I think at the core, I think the separation of church and state is a healthy thing. 
And our church does not exist to just see how much aggravation we can cause to the government. Our church exists to make a difference in people's lives, period. Our church exists to exalt Jesus Christ, to have the heart of Jesus, to have the mind of Christ in all that we do, to be led by the Spirit of God, and whatever it is that we do in ministry, we just want it to lead ultimately lead people to Jesus. And sometimes as a church, you need to meet those tangible needs. Uh, there are certainly times that we do ministry to feed and to clothe and to comfort and to help and sometimes those are they're just some tangible things that we do as a church that really just need to be done. And so just pray for that effort and pray for other churches. Pray for your church. If your church maybe has an idea or two of some things that could be done and has an idea of a way to make a difference to people in our community, Maybe you want to bless a business that's had to close down. Maybe your church just wants to sponsor a day uh, to a restaurant that has severely lost some business. And maybe you want to sponsor a day and, and have everybody do takeout orders to one particular restaurant. Uh, maybe, there's, maybe there's just some things that you could do as a Christian that regardless of whether or not your church gets involved, there are some things that you can do. Try to think outside the box and use this as an opportunity uh, to make a difference for people uh, all, around, all around our community. I want to mention to you, I, I found an article that highlighted some interesting steps that took place during the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 to 1919. Now you have to understand, we're talking about World War I. Um, we're talking about a strain of the flu that began infecting War, World War I troops in 1918. And it went everywhere. I mean, it started, it originated in Kansas. I don't know why it was called the Spanish flu. I don't see that anywhere, but it, it, was, it was called the Spanish flu and the Spanish flu pandemic. But it began to sweep all over the world. It started in Kansas, and it began to spread through the rest of the world through the movement of the troops. The Spanish flu mortality rate differed, obviously, from city to city, depending on each community, but ultimately there were about 600,000 lives that were claimed in the United States alone. So obviously, thinking about the numbers of people that were in our country 100 years ago versus the millions that we have in our country in the year 2020, it really puts in perspective the outbreak of the Spanish flu in terms of the mortality rate being much more severe per you know per capita in the year 1918 and 1919 than it does with the coronavirus in the year 2020. But one of the first things that they did, you'll be shocked to know this, but one of the first things that they did is they shut down dance halls and movie theaters. And of course if you remember, you know, in the in the the, the 1910s, you know, dance halls and 
flapper girls and all of those things were really beginning to take off and and movies you know silent movies and all of that were really really became a, a a big deal but they shut down all of the large events all the large events were canceled all the dance halls and movie theaters were closed um here's a quote from syracuse new york in october 1918 at the peak of America's epidemic, Syracuse was transformed into what was called a silent city. And out of the newspaper, it said, quote, there's absolutely nothing to bring residents to the center of the city during the coming 24 hours. It was to be a gasless, churchless, movieless, theaterless Sunday, end quote. Just amazing to think that 100 years ago, Everything shut down uh, in a very similar fashion to how things shut down uh, and, and have shut down here today. Another interesting part of the article, it said that the funeral industry couldn't keep up with the body count. Now, again, we're talking about major, you know, higher density cities, higher population cities obviously had more of this issue than a smaller town would be where the outbreak was much less and the impact was less. But you can imagine in a large city where people are dying by the hundreds, the number of funeral homes, they just couldn't, they just couldn't keep up. And so sometimes the families would keep the, the deceased body for days until the remains could be collected because the morgues were so over capacity, they just did not have the room for them. Uh, in fact, in Philadelphia, it was one of the hardest hit cities in America. They didn't even have enough coffins for the deceased. And some undertakers resorted to using packing crates. Now, again, we're talking 100 years ago, but we're talking about a major epidemic that impacted the world, but particularly, like I said, well over half a million people died during the Spanish flu. In some cities, people were required to wear masks in public. So again, you were required. It was not suggested. It was required. If you're going to use public transportation, which they kept open, that you had to wear a mask. And just looking at some of the pictures of some of these masks, it, it basically looked like they cut holes in, in men's white underwear and just put it on their face. It's really awful looking masks. But they had to wear them while they were shopping, had to use them in public transportation. Um, the, again, just the, the pictures are just amazing. Another article or another part of the article said that private residences, including frat houses, were used as makeshift hospitals. So they would take gymnasiums, they would take these large places like a frat house and fraternity house, excuse me, and they would make them into hospitals. They would just have row after row after row of people that are laying on beds in this makeshift hospital getting some kind of medical care, whether or not they were getting well or whether or not they were just riding out the symptoms, I don't know. But some hospitals had to be open-air hospitals. And then, like I said, some of them were public buildings. Government officials uh, initially tried to understate the severity of the pandemic, but only made things worse. So again, uh, governments sometimes will 
downplay it initially, and then they panic like everyone else does. Uh, they had they sent lists from town to town and copying these instructions to householders, to workers, to nurses, to uh, you know what to do until the doctor shows up, you know, and how to how to take care of yourself, how to hydrate, how to stay clean, and how to stay as healthy as possible, how to isolate yourself to avoid affecting other people. Does all this sound familiar to you? I, I read this article and I thought, well, my stars, this is exactly what is happening today. And some cities enacted quarantines, so they had to obviously be quarantined if they were infected. This was the funniest part of the article that said that flu patients, now of course this is 1918 and 1919, so you have to think 100 years ago, this was where medicine was at, but it said that flu patients were medicated with whiskey and champagne. <laughs> I guess I guess, regardless of what your pain is, uh, the whiskey and champagne will just make it go away. I guess the statement is true, desperate times call for desperate measures. But I, I found that hilarious, and, and he said, you know, there's no, here's what a doctor said. One doctor in, in the 1910s, he said, there's no finer pick-me-up after an attack of the flu than good fizz. Well, I'm sure there are plenty of other good remedies than whiskey and champagne. Um, so communities back in, in those days uh, depended on volunteer nurses, to 10 people who were sick, they staggered their hours um, in different stores to deter large gatherings of people. I mean, here, what, what we're talking about in the 19, in 1918, 1919 Spanish flu epidemic where well over half a million people died in the United States alone, you know, regardless of how many people died worldwide, we see some very similar steps that were taken. And again, none of this as a Christian is done to control churches. This is done to control a disease. And I think, as I mentioned several times, I think it's good to be a good citizen as a church and to abide by these health concerns so that we can have healthy members and we can be partners with others in the community. We can stand shoulder to shoulder and arm to arm. We don't make less of the gospel and we don't devalue the word of God by making those stands. In fact, I think we strengthen our witness to those who see that Look, this is not the first time that America has had to ban public gatherings for the sake of the health and the concern for the spread of a disease. This is not the first time, and, and it may not be the last time, but we need to do whatever we can to, as they keep saying, to flatten the curve, you know, to see the number of cases go down, to see this this sickness, this virus, this disease, to die out. Um, and so anyway, I, I just found it hilarious that some of these statements and some of these preventive things, in fact, there was the, the last one I'll mention from this article said that people were banned from spitting in public. I mean, you actually had to tell people don't spit because spit will spread the, the Spanish flu. 
And so people were banned from spitting in public and violators were fined. Oh my goodness, the, the things that they had to think of. Um, anyway, I'll move on. Well, I, some of you probably noticed this morning, just in a different, uh, different train of thought, some of you probably noticed this morning that they finally reached a deal on a $2 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill. It's the largest by far in U.S. history. And so they had been haggling for a couple of days. Uh, the Senate Democrats, the White House um, Republicans, you know, they just been going back and forth with this two trillion dollar stimulus package to, as they said, to combat the economic fallout of the coronavirus outbreak. So they're going to make direct payments to most Americans and a half trillion dollar fund to shore up struggling companies. Uh, I don't want to go through all of the benefits and all of the specifics that are going to go into it. But as far as where your family comes in, uh, let me just mention this. It says that the latest stimulus bill is expected to include direct payments of $1,200 or less to most adults. Uh, they're going to offer loans to businesses and expansion of unemployment insurance and other aspects of the social safety net. It said that the amounts of the one-time payments, this is coming from the Los Angeles Times, the amounts of the one-time payments, which officials could hope to go out as soon as early April, will be based on income reported in their 2018 taxes, uh, de declining gradually beginning with individuals who made $75,000 or married couples filing jointly who made uh, $150,000. Individuals making $99,000 or above or married couples making $198,000 or more would receive no check. But it said that people would also receive an additional $500 per child. So hopefully all of the details of all of that will go through. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not say, just saying this personally for, for my own sake and my own family, but when you begin shutting down numerous businesses and you begin to require people to stay at home and not get out, the economy is going to struggle. Uh, people are, you know, of course, we're Americans, so we're used to traveling, we're used to vacationing, we're used to, you know, going to certain places and spending a certain amount of money and doing certain things. There are places that are really struggling. And so they're hoping that this economic boost, this, this financial boost, will cause an economic boost and will help the stock market. And uh, the stock market was already up yesterday just with the idea that the stimulus bill was being pushed through and would be accepted. So all of that being said, this is all the more reasons for Christians, I think, to pray and pray for our government, pray for our officials, pray for our economy. Uh, because listen, you know, churches are really no different when it comes to financial support. And the more financial support that a church has, the more ministry they're able to do. Uh, for example, the food that I mentioned just a few moments ago that our church is going to purchase is coming as a result of an event that our church had to cancel that we have every year. We have an egg hunt that we have every year. 
And our family pastor said, well, look, the money that we were going to put toward that, uh, it's already been budgeted and it's already available. We're just going to put it toward this other ministry effort. And yes, it's going to look quite different, but because that money was there, then we're going to be able to participate in this effort to benefit these families in our community and other churches as well. If the financial support is not there, then those kind of ministry options are just not an option. So the better the economy is, the the more stable that people are financially, then the more stable a church is going to be. It just it, it's logic, but it's also uh, it, it's also needful because the Lord has commanded us as believers to support financially the work that God is doing in our local body and to set aside a portion of our income and bring it in as a tithe and an offering back to the Lord. And so we do that out of honor. We do that out of uh, respect and, and we do that out of support. And so as the economy goes, then, you know, the church will certainly feel that effect as well. So just be praying that these relief efforts will in fact stimulate the economy, that people would use this money coming in, that would use it wisely, and that all of the details of, of this kind of stuff um, will go well. Well, I told you at the top of the show that last week I talked a little bit about the heart behind going shopping in a store. And I mentioned a couple of specific things, but really kind of glossed over what a shopping list should look like for people that are going to the stores during this quarantine time. Now, of course, President Trump said yesterday it would be his desire and his hope that by Easter Sunday, that weekend, that, that the United States would be back and up and running. And of course, you know, the CDC and the Surgeon General are differing on that kind of time frame. We need to pray. I don't know what the time frame should be, but we will see how it all shakes out. It's a really, all of this, by the way, is a day-by-day thing. I mean, Andy Brashear has done a daily broadcast every day at 5 Eastern, 4 Central, and kind of gives a day-to-day, you know, here's where we're at. Here's where things are. So, when will all of this go back into effect? When will all you know? When will businesses open back up? When will things be quote unquote normal again? Who knows? But until then, you may need a quarantine shopping list. What do I buy when I go to the store? Well, some of you are buying whatever you can because stores are probably not stocked up in some things that you typically go to the store and buy. You know, they may just be out because people are, are binge shopping and they're hoarding. That being said, I found an article that I thought was very helpful, some specific things. I want to read you the top 10 things, starting with number 10, that you should be stocking up on in your home during this time of quarantine. Number 10 on the list is toilet paper. Believe me, some people have enough toilet. I saw a, a a helpful calculator on the internet the other day. How much time, how many days will my current stock of toilet paper give me during the quarantine? And so you you put in the number of toilets in your home, the number of rolls of toilet paper that you currently have, and then it told you how many days you could survive with that stock of toilet paper. Some of y'all have enough toilet paper to last you 
until, you know, 2025. I'm just saying. That should be number 10 on the list. Number nine on the, on the list was rice. Of course, you can put rice with anything. You could, you know, you boil water to, to make rice. You can eat it. It's a good staple, you know, filler. Uh, many, many times that, uh, you know, I've been to China in the past, haven't been in several years, but, uh, you know, they serve rice with just about every meal, if not every meal. Uh, it's a good filler, and it's something that is inexpensive. It's dry. It will last. So it was smart to put that on the list. Number eight, they suggested soup. Again, something that you can eat that does not necessarily have to be warmed. You can eat it right out of the can if you have to, but certainly something that you can keep in a, in a can that you don't have to eat morning, noon, and night. You can... You know, put some in a can, put the rest in your refrigerator. Uh, you can stock up with many, many cans of soup and just eat it sporadically. And so I thought that was a good, a good suggestion. Number seven on the list, they suggested antibacterial soap. Now listen, this is number seven on the list. I understand why it's number seven on the list. There are other staple things. Because listen, a little bit of antibacterial soap, hand gel, hand sanitizer, those types of things. If you are quarantined in your home, the number of coronavirus germs that exist in your home are few to none, okay? Especially if you've disinfected, uh, these germs are not just going to find their way to your home. They have to have a carrier. And they only last, you know, a certain, num a certain amount of time on different surfaces. So, a little bit of antibacterial soap and hand sanitizers and all that. You don't need 9,000 bottles of hand soap and 800 dispensers of hand sanitizer. Please let other people have some and buy some. But it is on the list. Number seven on the list, it is necessary. Number six was peanut butter or other kinds of nut butter like almond, uh, almond butter, those types of things. Thought that was very smart to put that on the list. Dry pasta was number four. Uh, again, it's just like rice. You know, that's something that can go with just about anything. And I thought that was pretty wise to put that on the list as well. Uh, number three was personal hygiene items. Of course, those are things you want to stay clean. You want to keep your body clean. Even though you're home and not going out, it doesn't mean you never shower and you never wash your hair and all of that. You, you need to keep your body clean, and, and just like you're washing your hands often, uh, keeping those germs and things off of your body is very important. Number two on the list I thought was, was genius. It says Tylenol, aspirin, and other medications. Of course, they're saying if you have the coronavirus, don't take Advil. Take uh, Tylenol uh, or aspirin. And so these are things to keep in your home in case somebody in your home does have the coronavirus or gets it somehow, some way. I thought that was smart to tell people to go to the store and buy those things and keep a, a good stock of those things. And then first on the list was vegetables, either frozen or canned. Why vegetables? Now, you notice there was not really any meat that was found on that list. In fact, I've got to go all the way down. Number 15 on the list was eggs. Um, I'm still looking. I'm still looking. Number 27 is fish, canned or vacuum-packed. I'm looking. I'm looking. I keep going down the list. Most of this 
is dried. Most of this is canned. And so anything that you can put in a, anything that can be canned or, or frozen, those are things that are going to keep a long time. Those are things that are going to be less expensive. They're things that will be healthy for you because some of you may be probably more accustomed to eating out or fast food than you should be. And so these are just some good, helpful things to remember when you're going to the store, buy some healthy things, put them in your refrigerator and your freezer and have them in case you have to be indoors, maybe a day or two longer than you want to be for some reason. Uh, these are things that will not spoil and they're things that will keep. They're things you could store in any cool, dry place. And so, again, it's just using common sense. But, unfortunately, common sense is not as common as it should be. Um, I, I read a list of celebrities that have the coronavirus. And, you know, some of these... I, I, I read this list and, and I think... What's the difference between a celebrity having the coronavirus and, and my next door neighbor? Um, we don't have any neighbors, by the way, but, you know, what would that difference be? At the end of the day, here's, and, and I'm not going to read this list because, like I said, many of these people I don't even know and many of these people you probably don't know. But some of them are actors, a few of them are singers and musicians and uh, some of them are government leaders. You know, Rand Paul is on the list and a couple of, of other worldwide leaders, the, some people in Spain and Europe and those types of things. But the list tells me this. Just like sin, this virus is no respecter of persons. It's a sickness that lives anywhere. It's a sickness that will travel. It's a sickness and, and a virus that will impact whomever, whenever, and however. But we all have to understand this. Not only do we all have a responsibility to stay clean, keep our communities clean, but we all have the same responsibility of helping others to not get infected if we have been. And so that's part of the message that these celebrities have shared, you know, stay healthy, stay clean. But honestly, just like what has happened with churches that have gone online and doing things in, in a media way, and live streaming, it, it's making every size church, every type of church, essentially the same. We have the same message. We worship the same God. We pray that we're preaching the same gospel, and we're exalting the same Savior. And so when you see celebrities that have the coronavirus and they're speaking against staying indoors, it's no different than me telling you because I'm not a celebrity. I'm just a guy telling you to do what you can to stay healthy and help other people to stay healthy. And so just like the, the problem of the coronavirus is no respecter of persons, sin is not either. But you know what? God is not either. God offers the same gift of eternal life to you and to me, and Jesus and his blood is sufficient to cleanse us, the Bible says, of all sin. And so I'm thankful that even in these days of weirdness, awkwardness, quarantine, that we can lift high the Lord Jesus and, and tell people about him because no matter what it is that we're panicked over, the gospel is the same. It is powerful and effective no matter what to whoever, wherever they might be. And I'm thankful that you joined me tonight on What's the Word. I hope that this show was a blessing to you. 
I'm on 101.9 WAIN every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock or 1270 a.m. or on 1019WAIN.com. This will be uploaded on my podcast tomorrow, which is called Walk This Way. You can find that at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway. And I hope that you'll find it and be a subscriber there as well. May God bless you. Stay healthy, stay well, and have a great rest of the week. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.